Our scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. Uh, whether you're here in person or you're one of the many traveling this weekend, we hope it was a good time with friends and family. You were able to get some good turkey or, or otherwise. Um, it's hard to imagine what it must have been like for these 10 men to wake up on that fateful morning to find out that they had leprosy, that they were essentially doomed to pass away from it. Uh, what little we know of leprosy is it started at the edges of your skin with a soreness, with, with an itchiness. But there had to have been, say, a morning or something where they walked in with others and they had thought it might be something. They, they had their fears of what worst case scenario it could have been. They walked in and a loved one had to say, oh my goodness, it's what we worst feared. Uh, get back, get away. And literally from that moment, having to leave the home. Uh, leprosy was phys uh, physically agonizing. I mean, you literally watched your body eat itself. There was no cure. Uh, it was just a, a slow, certain death. It was socially alienating. You probably couldn't even go back for your stuff. You couldn't give a little hug goodbye to your loved ones. You had to go out to what were known as leper colonies, where you're just completely off on your own. You had to, as you were walking out to that leper colony, pick up dirt and dust from the ground, wipe in your hair, rip your clothes, and yell at the top of your voice, unclean, unclean, over and over again. I mean, talk about social distancing. I mean, that was just to the nth degree. It was contagious, and everybody knew it, so you had to kind of give fair warning, so everybody knew, yelling, unclean, unclean. Leprosy was emotionally debilitating. I mean, these guys had no life ambition in front of them. Any purpose in their life they had up until that point was gone. And what scholars tell us about these leper colonies back in the ancient world is that they were undoubtedly filled with just depression after depression after depression. They were just sad, hard environments to be in. And then leprosy, worst of all probably, was it was spiritually condemning. What do I mean by that? Well, society back in that day thought that if you had something wrong with you, if you were suffering, then it meant God must be upset with you. Which, by the way, the scriptures don't really teach, but that's just what they believed back then. In fact, Jesus spent a lot of time trying to rewrite that kind of thinking. But back then in that society, if you were suffering, if something bad was happening to you, they thought God was upset with you. So therefore, the worse the condition, the worse the sin must be. And if you had leprosy, well, in that society, they all thought of you as scum of the earth. Because if you had that condition... They didn't have to look into your background. They didn't have to think about, you know, what must you have done. To, they just knew that you had something. It was spiritually condemning. And if, you know what, society thought that way about you, you could almost figure that these guys believed it about themselves. I mean, you think about these guys. They were outcasts in every conceivable way. 
just outcasts. They had to walk out to these leper colonies where they were destined to live out and wait for the inevitable. Well, news must have been hard for them to come by, and, and yet they had heard rumors that there was a guy out there who could heal, even heal leprosy. And against all the odds, he was happening to walk by their way. And so 12 of these guys thought, you know what? We got to find a spot where we can like, you know, as he's going down the road, we can from our little, you know, distance spot, yell out to him. And what they do is they cry out, Jesus, master, have pity on us. It's an incredible story. If you stop to think about it, this amazing story that's often read around the Thanksgiving time that we're going to consider today. A question we have to ask And really a good question we always have to ask when we go to the scriptures, or at least it's good to ask, is, well, what is it doing here then? Like, why is this story preserved for us today? If it's God's word and God calls us to to look at his word, to learn from it, to, to be shaped by it, the question is then, okay, well, what is this story doing in the Bible? Why is this here for us? And I can think that the story is not here primarily, primarily at least, to tell us that Jesus can heal. Even, even heal leprosy. And the reason why I feel like we can say that is by this point in Luke chapter 17, it's already been established Jesus can heal. And really, that doesn't seem like the main driving force of this story anyways. What is this story doing here? It has to be about the response these lepers had when it came to Jesus responding in their life, to his provision. It seems to me that God really wants us to wrestle with our response to his provision in our life. Now, you might be thinking, Dave, I've never experienced a provision, like, you know, to the degree of being healed of something like leprosy or miraculous of that sense. Okay, maybe, maybe, you know, in different forms it can take place. We can receive his provision in big ways and small, but we all receive God's provision. Uh, There's this wonderful passage uh, there in uh, Romans 1 that that, uh, Bible theologians uh, call, uh, describe as common grace, that God blesses us all with life. Air in our lungs, rain for the crops, for sustenance and all the rest. God provides. The question is, how do we respond? How do we respond? Because what we see in this text is there's a good and right response to his provision in our lives. While there's also a response that misses the mark to his provision in our lives. The and, frankly, fails to open up what he really wants to give to you and me. Uh, so we're going to talk about this on, on this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, talk about, uh, look, look briefly at the responses of these 10 lepers and consider what it, what it means, means for us. So let's pray and then we'll, then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for all that you are and all that you do in our lives. Right now, we just say especially thank you for your word, that you give us your word to learn about you and to learn about who you call us to be. And thank you for your Holy Spirit whom you give us to, to understand your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on this place now. I pray that it would be your words spoken, not mine. Help me get out of the way. Lord, we just long to be touched by your spirit and be drawn to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at the, the 10 lepers here. First, the nine, and then the one, okay? So let's look at the, the nine lepers and, and what they, you know, didn't get right, okay? These guys missed the mark. They, f- they failed the test in a way, but first let's actually consider what they got right, okay? Because these, these nine lepers, the ones, all 10 were healed. They didn't come back. The one who was healed came back. So these nine, they, they got something wrong, but first let's consider what they got right. And what they got right was, first of all, they, they obeyed. I mean, Jesus said, hey, go, go show yourself to the priest, 
which is a fascinating provision uh, recorded in the scriptures. I don't have it in my notes here. I think it's Leviticus 15 or so. But it's this provision where if you happen to be miraculously healed by leprosy, here's what you do. You go to the priest and, and essentially they restore you. And one of those ways they restore you, they restore you into society. So that's, that's an interesting provision in the ancient scriptures, the Hebrew text, to say, okay, if this happens, this is what you do. So Jesus said, go and do that. And what's fascinating about this is the provision back in Leviticus 15 or so was when you are healed from leprosy, go and do this. Jesus just sent them, like before they were healed. He's just, it was a done deal in his mind, like a presumed miracle. He just said, you just go because it's going to work out. And these guys obeyed. They went on their way. Obedience, that sounds like a good thing, okay. The other thing they had going for them in terms of what was right about their response is they had some semblance of faith, okay? If you come to church, you know that faith is kind of important. Well, it says on their way as they went. I mean, look, they obeyed, but they also had to connect that in some way to thinking that maybe this is gonna happen, right? So there's some semblance of faith involved in their response. But then get this, there is no place here where Jesus actually says, and hey, if and when you are healed, I want you to come back and say thank you, by the way. Jesus never said to these guys, I want you to come back when it happens and say thank you. And yet clearly in this story, Jesus is saddened that they don't come back, that they don't come back and say thank you. Because look again at verse 17 when he's talking to the one healed leper. He said, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? So there's something they didn't get, right? There's something about these, these nine that missed the mark. Of course, the big question is, well, what did the one leper who was healed get that they, that they failed to get? And I think we need to dig into this a little bit because the answer is, is, is nuanced as it is, as it is rich. Look at verse 19. Jesus said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. That is a profound statement. Meaning, if we were just to read that and say, Oh, that's kind of a nice thought. Jesus has said that before. Rise and go, your faith has made you healed. If you've been coming to, in our uh, series that we've been going through back in, in Luke 7, these encounters with Jesus, he's said this multiple times. Rise and go, something to the effect, your faith has made you well. But consider what it means in this moment. The logic of this thing is pretty, pretty incredible. It's a profound statement. Jesus is saying, look, I just healed you of leprosy, but now rise and go, your faith has made you well. You following that? This guy had just been healed miraculously of leprosy, but there was something different or there was a healing or there was a being made well that was different than this healing of leprosy. He was being made well in a different sense. I don't think Jesus was saying, hey, this worked out in such a way that because you came back, you're going to actually keep the leprosy off. Those other guys are jacked. They're gonna... That's not what he was saying. He was saying there's something about when you, were, when you came back and your faith involved here, you are now going to rise and, and, and go and be made well in a way that doesn't even, doesn't even compare to being healed by, by, by leprosy, from leprosy. So what is that? What does it mean to be made well? Uh, I think it's actually a little bit unfortunate that at least the translation I'm reading from uses these words because it's, it's a very rich word. And actually, it's often not translated this way. So I, I don't know what the thinking was there by the translators. But to be made well is the Greek word sozo, okay? The sozo means not just to be made well. I mean, like when we say that in English, we think, oh, I got a boo-boo, right? And you can tell I have little kids, okay? <laughs> I got a little owie and, you know, it was, it was made well. Like that, that's what we think of, or we at least can, when we think of made well, made well from leprosy. But that's not what Jesus is saying with the word sozo. Your faith has made you, sozo, it made, has it made you well. That word is actually often translated saved. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you spiritually well, 
is what Jesus is saying. I've, rest- I've given you a wholeness spiritually that even being healed from leprosy cannot compare. And so if you think about it in that sense, he's saying, look, to this healed leper, because you came back, because you had this faith involved, I'm actually going to make you well in a way that is going to make you impervious to even something like you contracting leprosy tomorrow, if that were to happen. I'm going to give you a wellness that nothing externally, no external pressure or circumstance, nothing life can throw at you will, will, will come to actually harm you. And this is what Jesus promises to you and me. He said, I've come to make you well. Now, in a sense, that is implied that he can make us well in whatever we're facing, whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're looking to him for. If you've been saying a prayer, if you're a follower of his, or you're just throwing out a prayer just in the hopes that God would provide in some way, God can and often does provide for us miraculously. And, he and I can share a few, like a handful of stories of the incredibly miraculous state. Just to, he, he can do it in that way, in the big ways and in the small. God can and does provide. But what the real big promise here isn't so much making you and me well in that sense. It's about bringing uh, spiritual wellness, wholeness, unlike anything else. What is Jesus getting at here? What is, what is he offering? I mean, this really gets to the, the root issue, and that is what the Bible calls sin in our lives. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about it this week like this. I mean, you, you can compare. Sin is really like leprosy in a way. I mean, kind of, it, it, it hurts us, and, and it can spread. A sin is really things that we do that are apart from how God made us or designed us to be and the, and the things that he calls us to be about. And, and the fact is it doesn't just hurt us. It doesn't just hurt our relationship with him. It hurts our relationship with others. And that's been a lesson I've been really learning into, coming into and out of the pandemic as a parent. Oh, my goodness. How sin, you know, say when I get impatient or when I'm uh, selfish in a moment or whatever, that sin doesn't just start and stop with me, but it actually affects my kids and others around me. I mean, sin just can kind of get, if you think of it this way, sin is like leprosy in the sense that it hurts us relationally, socially. It can be alienating. It can cause rifts between people when we choose our ways instead of loving and caring for others. It can be emotionally debilitating. It could be, it, it ultimately is spiritually condemning. Physically, it, it, the Bible teaches that it, it leads to our passing away ultimately. But the gospel is Jesus came to make us well. You know, verse 11, Luke gives a little descriptor of a, of a verse here that can seem kind of like a throwaway, but it's actually really important in terms of what Luke is trying to convey. He says, now on his way to Jerusalem. Okay, the first verse of our, of our text today. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus was ultimately, Luke is highlighting for us, on his way to the cross. Jesus was going to the cross in order to make us well, in order to get, grant us and give us this spiritual wellness. Because on the cross, you can say it this way, he faced physical agony, uh, social alienation, emotional debilitation, and spiritual condemnation in an infinitely greater way than any of us could ever experience, even if we were to get leprosy or whatever else hard thing we could face in this life. Jesus, in a way, on the cross, became a leper. You could think of it that way. In fact, there's this place in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says, God the Father made Jesus sin in order that we might become, become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin. On the cross, it's, he was, he, Jesus was made unclean so that we could be made clean. 
Jesus on the cross was essentially cast out of God's presence in order to bring us into his family. And how do we receive this? Well, like the one leper, rise and go, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Your faith has given you this sozo. Your, your faith has made, brought this spiritual wellness that'll make you impervious to whatever life throws at you. You'll always have this stability, this peace, this joy that cannot be taken from you, even in the hardest times of life. Here's what the nine didn't get. The nine thought that in receiving this miraculous provision of being healed, this miraculous healing, they got what they had needed. I mean, that's an interesting perspective, to be healed of leprosy, and for them to conclude, I've gotten what I've needed, and that to mean they didn't get it. They were still missing out. And that's, of course, what the one leper did understand. He understood that he was healed of this leprosy. He did receive this incredible, miraculous provision, but that wasn't everything. And look, this guy, he probably didn't have his theology all figured out. I'm guessing he didn't have much theology in, in his mind at all. But what little he did understand of Jesus, he understood, I want to go back and thank that guy. It's, it's about him more than even what I just got. And so he went back and he thanked Jesus. If we can boil up this, boil down this thought to, to, to one statement, I think what we see the one leper realizes that it's not about the provisions, it's about the provider. He understood it's not about the, the healing so much as it is about the healer. He was amazed at who Jesus was and is to him. And really, this is the gospel. This is the good news. If you don't identify as Christian, how do you get it? How do you receive this sozo, this spiritual wellness? It really comes down to just that. It's receiving it and saying, thank you. It's just, God says, here, I've, I've, I'm giving you this gift and what I've accomplished through my son. Will you have it? Will you have me? And then for those of you who have received the gospel, I think there's actually a bit of a sobering wake-up call here or warning. Uh, do you see that in the text? Right, for instance, let me look at the percentages, right? Of, of the 10, how many came back? <laughs> One of the 10, that's, those aren't good percentages of people who actually came back and were thankful. And then check out Jesus' kind of stark words here. He said, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, he didn't say that with a sneer. He just healed this guy. He loved him, cared for him. What he was saying was, there were probably people who identified as God's followers among the other nine who didn't come back and say thank you. Think about that. That, that kind of hit me here this week. I think the implications here are really twofold. One, we just need to be able to receive it uh, for ourselves and and. and receive what God has, has made available to us just by, by saying thank you. But the other implication is if we have received it, this sozo, it's really easy to not necessarily live fully from it. I think we could, we could have it at our fingertips, but not actually really have it. And I think that's important to consider, especially at the, at the heart or our personal level. So for instance, think about something that you may be crying out to God for. It could be something you know, related to a relationship that you really want or a relationship that you'd love healing for. Maybe it's asking God for clarity in life for a next step, whatever it might be. Maybe it's asking for God in, in relation to a job promotion. Maybe it's asking him to bail you out. Maybe it's asking him for, for a healing, whatever it might be. What is that? And then the next question is, and what's your heart posture in the midst of that? Because if your heart posture or my heart posture is only ever 
bitterness, resentment, stress, and anxiety. It's only ever these things, then chances are we're more focused on the provision than we are about the provider. And I'll tell you, this has really been working me over because I've realized that over the years, it's been so easy for me to make the relationship I have with God really ultimately about what he is or isn't doing for me. <laughs> when that just misses the point entirely. And this is a real issue for us. I mean, no matter who you are, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, if all we're looking for is provision, uh, we will only be left wanting more. We will never be satisfied. And you know, if our heart is like the one I just shared with you, one where it's like we're just going to God for what we can get or why aren't we getting, whatever the case might be, you realize where that puts us, right? Puts us with the heart posture of the nine, which is essentially self-entitled, proud. But here's how we tap into this sozo, this, this spiritual wellness that Jesus says is better than even being healed from leprosy. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. I don't know if you're an underliner in your Bible, but you can underline those words. He came back, and then this word, praising God in a loud voice. In one word, this guy chose gratitude. He chose to be grateful. But I think that's the, and if we could say this in one statement, I think that's, that's the big takeaway in my mind is to choose gratitude, okay? And I think that first word is really important. It's, it's, it's got to be a choice, an active choice. I mean, there's one thing to be grateful, but you actually also have to like actively choose to be grateful. This guy chose to come back and praise God. And I think for me, especially when times are hard, this is something I especially need to lean into because if, when things are hard, I get especially like, well, God, why aren't you doing this already? Or how come it's not working out the way I want it to or the way I like to think of it? And I miss the fact that God is still good. He's wonderful. Even in the midst of the hard times, he is providing for me in ways that I just do not deserve. And he is only ever, even in the midst of hard times, and maybe even especially in the midst of hard times, worthy of praise and saying thank you and coming back to him. We've got to choose gratitude. Here are a couple suggested uh, points of application. Uh, at this point in the sermon, I am moving from principle, that I think the scriptures are teaching, to suggestions, okay? Because it doesn't say, therefore, here's what you ought to do. I think the principle is, hey, we need to choose gratitude, but here are some suggestions as you think about what this might mean in your life. Uh, three ways, three suggested ways to choose gratitude. One, choose gratitude in your prayers. Uh, when you pray, if you pray, do you thank God? Is that routinely a part of your prayers? I think many of us, when we pray, typically we're just going with our laundry list of, hey, I need this, God. Want to hook me up? This is what I need. Or God, I provide, please show up in this way. Can, can you actively choose when you pray to maybe even start with thanksgiving? Maybe even think through prayers you've prayed in the, in the recent past and thank him for answered prayers or maybe just thank him for who he is regardless of how things are working out. That's a, one way that you can choose gratitude. Here's another suggested way you could choose gratitude. Try journaling. I used to be against journaling. I just, I don't know if it was when I was a kid, I thought diary and all that sort of stuff. I was just that. But then I started like, you know, going into the church startup world and all these conferences and networks give, give you free uh, journals. I'm like, I got to use these things. And I just started doing it. And it's actually been wonderful. And one of the practices I do when I'm journaling is every so often to take some time and just write down the things I'm grateful for. And I just find that's super helpful because then you're kind of you know, stepping back, you're digesting a little bit, you're kind of thinking more broadly, a little bit more deeply, things that you're really grateful for, and you're writing them down. Another thing I'll do is, 
write down things that are hard in my life, things that are challenging, and then I'll go back through that list and write what ways do I see God's goodness and kindness in the midst of those. I mean, I talk about perspective there. So you can choose gratitude in prayer, and, and, and you can try journaling. And then number three, you can try to choose gratitude in community. Uh, Cindy likes to think of it this way, like seizing our conversations with others with gratitude. And it's one of those things where, you know, when we start to be grateful and express our gratitude to and with one another, it kind of begets gratitude. You kind of create a culture of gratitude. My brother is really good at this, and I think partly because he had a season of his life for a number of years where he was just going through the crucible. I mean, he just, things were really rough and hard. On this side of that, he just has a lot of wonderful things kind of turning out for him. It's, he's just kind of in a season of just real joy and just many things just kind of panning out for him. But when I'm talking to him, he will always, without fail, he'll always just say, man, God is so good in this way and that way. And he'll just share, man, I've just, that was, what an answer to prayer, David. Yeah, 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 answer to prayer. I mean, he's just so good. It's just this lens of seeing things. It's really incredible. And as he does that, I begin to do that more. We begin to do that more. I get off the phone, I'm thinking about that. And create a culture of, of, of being grateful. One of the things we've been practicing from time to time as a staff is we, we actually stole with pride from another uh, church that does this for their staff meetings to start with a gratitude corner. What are you, what are you grateful for? What are you thankful for? And I'll tell you what, it just, uh, speaking for me personally, it changes the tone of that meeting for me. I love it. But with each other, how can we just have that seasoned in our conversation just to choose gratitude? When I think of this one leper who came back uh, and was praising Jesus, saying basically, thank you, I think of thank you, Jesus man in Berkeley. Uh, when I was at UC Berkeley, I, doing my undergrad there, I, there, was this, there was this homeless guy that everybody called the thank you, Jesus guy. That's just everything with this guy, every interaction was, thank you, Jesus. He would just say, thank you, Jesus. And, you know, if he came up and asked for change and you had some, he'd say, thank you, Jesus. If you came up and asked for change and you didn't have any, thank you, Jesus. I remember one time I asked him, like, how he was doing, just getting conversation, how his day was going. He said, well, the sun's out. I didn't get rained on last night. Thank you, Jesus. The, the best story of Thank You, Jesus, man, was one time uh, my buddy and I were outside of our church, and there's this thick uh, bush out there, and we had no idea he was actually taking a nap at the time. We were just having a conversation, and in the middle of our conversation, he just woke up, thank you, Jesus. Like, he literally woke up out of his sleep just saying, thank you, Jesus. And it's, it's incredible. And, you know, this guy was so filled with peace and joy. I mean, even just some of the conversations I got to have with him, you just got to see you so, and you know what? Our society would probably pity this guy. But you have a conversation with this guy, and he gives you perspective in terms of what he's facing on a regular basis versus what a lot of the rest of us are facing, and yet with such joy and, and, and peace about him. It's like, I think that's what we're talking about here. It seems to me this text actually isn't ultimately about gratitude as it is a warning against ingratitude. Because Lacking gratitude leaves us outside of experiencing the fullness of, of this rich spiritual wellness that Jesus has readily available to us. It's about focusing on the provider, not so much the provision, even as, by the way, the provider wants to provide and will provide in different ways. My father-in-law, who passed away, quote, before his time, should have been, when he had just put his faith in Jesus, he, you know, this cancer happened unexpectedly, all that, his life verse at the end was, this is the day the Lord has made. 
I will rejoice and be glad in it. Every day, that was the verse he was talking about, thinking about, sharing. This is the day the, the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. For some, uh, right now, in our time of life, most of what we're facing is really, quote unquote, first world problems. But you know what? God cares about those too. He wants you to bring all of your cares, worries, desires to him. And he wants to meet you there. So this is not a, you know, get better desires or want. That's not message. This is, this is bring all of it to him. And he cares. For others, you are facing something more akin to the leprosy we see in this text. What you're facing is, is severe. And what we see, though, is even if it were leprosy, God offers this peace, this joy, this wellness that, that it, as it says in, in, Philipp, in, in uh, Philippians 4, uh, that transcends all understanding in Christ Jesus. That no matter what we face, we can face it with this wellness that God has given to us because of what he did for us on the cross. So will you choose gratitude? You know, the thing about Thanksgiving is I love that it reminds me to be grateful, but really it ought not be one day a year or a weekend a year. Can you choose gratitude? What would that look like for you to do? Not only today maybe or this week, but ongoing. How can you choose to have gratitude? Not all of us get to experience the healing of something like leprosy, but all of us can experience the spiritual wellness made available to us through Jesus and his gospel. Let's pray. As we, as we pray and heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give you an opportunity actually in, in response, in a time of reflection, uh, to just, yeah, spend some time briefly with the Lord. The heart of, of gratitude. Let's just start with a few moments of just thanking Him for who He is and what He's done in your life specifically. Just take a few moments. And then, and then take a few moments to think about the hard things that you're facing right now, whether it's a job situation, whether it's a broken relationship, whether it's healing that you desire and want. Whatever it is that's hard, take that to the Lord. And, and let's also spend some time in these moments of identifying in those places, where, where do you see God's goodness? Where are you grateful even in the midst of that challenge? Father, we're so thankful that if, if sin really is like leprosy, as we've, as we've been talking about it, that you sent your son to essentially be a spiritual leper in, in the ultimate sense, made unclean, made sin that we can be made clean and, and, and brought righteously into your family, not because of what we bring to the table, but because of who you are and what you've done. So we say thank you there's nothing else to, to thank you and praise you for today. It's who you are and what you've already accomplished on the cross when you said it is finished. So we thank you that you brought us into your family. We would choose to put your faith, our faith in you. And I want to pray for those who are here today and maybe they're hearing this for the first time or maybe they've been thinking about this for a while now and they want to make a decision to follow you. I pray that you would receive them if that's, your, if that's their heart's desire. They receive the forgiveness for sins that you 
made possible on the cross, life forever through your resurrection that we receive by faith. And Father, would you help us to not just on this Thanksgiving week and weekend uh, remember to be thankful. Lord, would you help us, yeah, really choose gratitude week in, week out. Lord, would you help us as a church community here at Current be a people of gratitude where our conversations are just always ever thankful for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. We love you, Father. We, we, we pray all this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.